Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast, back after a week away. Good to be back. Good to talk sports with you. And uh, man, is there so much sports to talk about. It, it, it's really crazy what this time of year, how much there is. I mean, this weekend in the NFL, usually the last weekend in the NFL doesn't bring much drama. This weekend certainly did. Yeah, the national championship game last night, Georgia getting over on Alabama and what I thought was actually a great game. I'll talk a little bit about that. SU hoops like we've never seen them before. Talk about that. So this is going to be very much NFL centric. I want to talk about the Bills and and the playoffs and and the things going on in the NFL because there is so much NFL news. Let's get to the game first. The Bills Jets, the Bills needed to win. Now, I haven't been here in the last, I wasn't here last week. So the Bills get over on Atlanta, game they had to win. It helped in large part by a taunting penalty on Matt Ryan. And it was funny because when I watched the game, first off, the announcers for that game, I thought were very subpar. When I watched the game live, I, I saw the play that Ryan went down And earlier this year, Tyler Heineke of the Washington football team did the same thing against Green Bay, and they called it back. So I saw the play, and I'm like, oh, I think he went down before he went in. Then he got the taunting penalty. Huge turnaround. Bills get that win. Needed it. Need to beat the Jets on Sunday to sew up the AFC East, which they did. And they did so in dominant fashion. And as much as you knew the Bills were dominating that game, Because of the offensive ineptness through the second and third periods of the game, the game was closer than it should have been. I mean, the Bills' defense, what they did to the Jets was basically criminal. Think about this. The Jets on the game had four first downs. Four. They had five net yards passing. Well, that's net yards. That means... You take the yards gained and then you subtract the yards lost from sacks. Five net yards passing. They had nine sacks of Zach Wilson. 53 total yards the Jets accounted for. 53. The Jets were one for 14 on third down. The Bills had the ball for 37 minutes. The Jets 23. Zach Wilson had a 40-yard touchdown pass to Keenan Cole. That was the highlight. That was the play. He was 7 of 20, 87 yards, had that touchdown, wasn't intercepted, and sacked nine times. Now, I got to say this about Zach Wilson. I've only watched him play a couple times because the Jets are basically an unwatchable product. In those two games, I've seen three throws, I think, that I went, yeah, that's a good play. And a whole lot of other plays that I've been just wondering where it is. When you see a young quarterback, you should see, no matter his situation, and Trevor Lawrence is a good example. Trevor Lawrence is in a terrible situation, terrible receivers, terrible coaching staff through most of the season, just deplorable. But a couple times a game, Trevor Lawrence will make a throw that you go, wow, that's big time. Zach Wilson, I just, I I don't see, and and I I think he's somebody who has a lot of ability. It just hasn't come out. 
And the Bills, what they did to that Jets offensive line, and, and, and in Zach Wilson's defense, aside from the left guard, the rookie out of USC, Vera Tucker, their offensive line isn't good at all. Now They, they lost Mekhi Becton for the season last year's first-round pick, their left tackle, who they hope to build around. But this is a... This is a team with four picks in the first 30, I think it's first 36 selections of the draft. They have a lot of opportunity to put the right guys in place around Zach Wilson. But the two questions I came away with watching that game, and I've had the question about Robert Sala all year, is he the right guy? I, I don't know if he is. I don't see a whole lot there. The other question I have is, is Zach Wilson the guy? And, and it's going to be a couple years before we find that out. But, man, if I was a Jets fan, I'd plan for another high draft pick after next season because it certainly doesn't look good. The Bills, their defense was just fantastic. Mario Addison had two sacks. Jordan Poyer had two sacks. Ed Oliver was fantastic yet again. I, I, I love how much Ed Oliver has progressed. Beginning of the year, I talked about it. Fifth-year option decision after this year. Are you going to extend? Hell yeah, you are. You you might get to the point where you might look to lock him up because he has been playing that well. And, and since Harrison Phillips has come back from injury, his ability to tie up tacklers and create Different things. He's doing the job Starla Tule is paid over $10 million a year to job, to do. Harrison Phillips has been fantastic. Phillips and Oliver together at the defensive tackle position have been just great in the second half of this year. And I think that's the key going forward to stopping the run in the playoffs and continuing this march towards whatever it ends up being. This Bills defense, we know the back end is really good, especially when they have Tredavious White. Well, they've lost Tredavious White. But think about this, since they've lost Tredavious White. How many times have you heard Levi Wallace's name mentioned? Not very many. You know why? Because he's doing his job. Nobody's really going after him. And by the same token, Dane Jackson is doing his job. Those two guys have elevated their play in the absence of Trey White. In a huge way. It's been remarkable to see the strides that they've made. Now, it, it doesn't hurt in any way that, in my opinion, they have the best pe- pair of safeties, the best tandem of safeties in the NFL. And I really don't know who you could argue is better. Jordan Poyer playing the best football of his career. Micah Hyde is always, always a, a great, great player always seems to be in the right position, makes the right decision. And because Poyer is is doing things all over the field, they're starting to get the recognition they deserve. This Bills defense has changed the narrative, in my opinion. Now, the question is, can the offense come with them? And it, for the Jets, I give them credit. They've got a nice defensive line. Quinnen Williams is an excellent, excellent defensive lineman. That's a guy you build around for sure on the defensive side. Too bad they've lost Marcus May, who's a really good safety. There's pieces in place of a couple linebackers that are athletic. 
Mosley for sure is a guy that is is flashed. So there's pieces on defense, and they gave the Bills a hard time. They really did. Josh Allen early on looked great. Quarter one with the wind. And up and down the field, didn't finish a couple drives, but looked really good. Now they turn into the wind, and Josh really struggled quarter second, the second and third quarters. And, and, and I don't know if it was the wind. I don't know if it was the cold combination. It, it just didn't look good. And then a couple plays in the fourth quarter. But I think for the last couple weeks, Josh has not played well. He's got to be better clearly in the playoffs. But if you want to have a silver lining, you look at what Devin Singletary has done over the last couple weeks. Sunday against the Jets, 88 yards and a touchdown on 19 carries. Last week against the Falcons, over 100. For the season, Devin Singletary, 870 yards, 4.6 yards per carry. He had seven rushing touchdowns, had another one through the air on Sunday. So Devin Singletary has really won the position finally in his third year and become the bell cow back. And I think it's huge looking ahead to the New England game of the fact that the Bills, for the first time since Josh Allen's been there, have a running game, in my opinion, outside of what Josh Allen brings to the table. Now, Josh finished the season with numbers that were not as good as last year. But certainly, you'd take him. If you had told me this is what he was going to finish at, yep, take it. Absolutely. 63% completion percentage, 4,400 yards. Now, it's a 17-game season, so it's still over a 4,000-yard season as a 16-game season. So that that's good. 36 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. That's the one mark right there, 15 picks is too many. The three picks against Atlanta certainly contributed to that. Needs to be better there. 92.2 quarterback rating isn't good enough, but the interceptions were a big part of it. I think having three severe weather games at Ralph Wilson Stadium were a big part of that as well. The play that stood out to me for Josh Allen on Sunday was the first touchdown he threw to Stephon Diggs. And it was a play that Diggs did a great job of of getting his foot down, I think. They called it a touchdown on the field, and they didn't overturn it. So I think it was a touchdown. But Allen's wrapped up, getting sacked, and gets enough on the throw and puts it in a perfect spot that Diggs is able to make a play on it for a touchdown. It was a phenomenal individual play, and it was ironic that because it was – debated whether or not Diggs got his feet in. I thought during the game, the announcers didn't give nearly enough credit to how difficult of a throw that was. And and it's plays like that that make Josh Allen what he is. He's a very good quarterback all around and can do a lot of things that other quarterbacks can do. But every now and then, a couple times a game, Josh Allen will do something that maybe three or four other quarterbacks in the league can do on their best moment. And that's where the ceiling is so high, where you look at the numbers I just mentioned for the season, they're good numbers. 
But Josh Allen, I think, has the ability to elevate and do more. He's certainly going to need it. You know, it's interesting, too, as we move towards Sunday, the Patriots game, when, I'm sorry, Saturday, when, when these teams meet again. The Bills, for their 17 games, finish 11-6. and six. All 11 wins were by a margin of 12 points or more. Four teams now have done that. Won 10 games, I should say, by 12 points or more. The Bills are one of four. The other three have made the Super Bowl, and two of those three have won the Super Bowl. Not saying the Bills are going, but saying the trajectory is there. The ironic thing is this, and I think this is an important statistic It's something that needs to be thought about with Sunday with the Patriots, Saturday with the Patriots. The Bills have had five of six of their losses by one score. Only the Indianapolis game where they got thumped 41-15 were they not in a one-score game. You think about it, Tampa was a game where they took to overtime. Jacksonville, they had the game late. They they could have made a play. Even New England had it late. Tennessee, they're down at the goal line. Josh gets stopped on on the quarterback sneak. So a lot of one-score games. And I think when you get to one-score games, and they lost five of six of those one one. I'm sorry, they lost five of those one-score games. So they are 0-5 in one-score games. 11-1 in games that are not one-score games. What does that mean? What, what, what do you extrapolate from that? And to me, it's coaching. It's, it's how you go about it. It's how you handle yourself in tight games. Now, I think, I hope, Sean McDermott learned something in the New England game when they lost by that one score, 14 to 10, to coach aggressively in big games. Look, Saturday night against the Patriots, McDermott has to have the same mindset he had in the second Patriots game, going forward on fourth down, trying to score touchdowns, not field goals. Those are the things in the playoffs, in tight games, that are going to mean the difference. Now, we're going to hear more and more about analytics as we go through the playoffs, you look at Sunday night's game, and I'll get to that, what Brandon Staley did. There are analytics that you go for and analytics that you support, and that's if you're near midfield, fourth down, you probably want to go for it in the playoffs. You don't go for it on your 19-yard line. There's a time and place where analytics come into play. Sean McDermott needs to be aggressive. I think the fact he hasn't always been aggressive has led to the fact that the Bills are 0-5 in one-score games. He needs to be better. And it's very important for him to self-scout and realize that, I think, I hope, he did that, and you saw the change with the second New England game. Let's talk about the third New England game. Now, the Bills and Patriots, since Brady has left, have played four times. The Bills have won three of them. Obviously, last year was a different scenario because quarterback position, Cam Newton wasn't able to throw the football, wasn't able to get it done there. Mac Jones, as a rookie, has been much better. Now, the Patriots, I find this interesting, have only played five games against the the playoff teams for this year. They've won two of them. They beat the Bills and they beat the Titans. 
So you look at the Patriots and you go, well, they haven't beaten anybody. They haven't played anybody. They beat the Titans. Yeah, they split with the Bills. And when they beat the Bills, it was a weather game. It's fluky. So you could say that. But then you look at the Bills' schedule. The Bills have played six games against playoff teams. Sure, they lost to the Patriots in that fluky game. But you take the one-and-one Patriots out, the Bills are only one-and-three against other playoff games. The only win they've had against a playoff team other than New England is that Kansas City win. Tennessee, Pittsburgh, and Tampa all beat the Bills. So the Bills haven't had a very tough schedule either. They've taken advantage of what's been in front of them. The Patriots, they're 6-2 and two away from Foxborough this year. Only 4-5 and five at home. They are number two in scoring defense this year. The Bills are number one. It's kind of ironic how similar these teams are. The Bills give up 17 points a game. Patriots, 17.8. The turnover differential. The Bills are plus eight. Patriots are plus seven. The scoring offense, the Bills average 28.4 points per game. Patriots, 27.2. You look at the running game. You know, everyone looks at the Bills unable to stop the run and unable to run the ball. Well, it's ironic that they offensively are sixth in the league in running the, running the ball with an average of 129 yards per game on the ground. The Patriots are eighth, 126. Now you can say, yeah, well, that's the Josh Allen factor. Exactly. And that's what may be the difference again in this game as it was in the second game that the teams have played. Josh Allen was the best player on the field. But look at the rush defense. The Bills are 13th in the league against the run, giving up 109 yards per game. Patriots are 123 yards per game for 22nd. That's the one area that I think the Bills might have an advantage is running the ball against New England. Now, you look at it and, and you look at that 14-10 to 10 loss in the weather where Mac Jones threw the ball three times and, and your head says, well, the Bills have to stop the run. I think the Patriots have to stop the run, and I think that could be a huge part of this game. Kyle Duggar and Dante Hightower missed the Miami game on Saturday or on Sunday, they probably will give it a go. If they're not healthy, that could be a huge part of it. Uh, the Bills' offensive line's been healthy for two games in a row. I think there's something there that's, that's building. There's a little bit more use of an extra offensive lineman in the running game to give the Bills an advantage. So I, I think this week is going to be a very difficult game for Buffalo. Extremely difficult. Here's the keys to win. And the first one is Devin Singletary. He's got to carry the ball 15 times, in my opinion. If he doesn't carry it that much, I think there's a good chance that, that Brian Dayball gets in that tunnel vision where he sometimes does and, and creates a situation where Josh Allen's throwing it too many times. Remember this, the high in Buffalo right now on Saturday is 7 degrees. It is going to be bitterly cold Saturday night when these two teams play. So it's going to be a situation for whichever team handles the elements the best. And we've seen the Bills not handle the elements very well. A huge, huge situation is going to be decided by the weather. Josh Allen's going to have a turnover in this game. 
he's going to try to run it a lot. He's going to try and throw it, and it's going to be, like I said, inclement weather. There's going to be a turnover at some point. He can't have more than one. Absolutely cannot have more than one turnover. Has to take care of it as well as he can throughout the course of that game. Because you know New England's going to be hitting him and trying to force the ball out. The fumbles, to me, are more of a concern than the interceptions in this game for Josh Allen. The Bills have to play from the lead. They are similar to Tiger Woods in his in his heyday. Tiger was a guy who would go out there and get a big lead and, and just relax and play and make birdie after birdie. And when you looked, he won the U.S. Open by 15 strokes. Nobody ever did that. The Bills are like that, and it shows with the statistics I I cited earlier about them having all 11 wins by more than 12 points. They are a team that's much better playing from the lead than they are from playing from behind. So when given the chance early for Sean McDermott, it's about being aggressive with your play calling fourth and one, go for it. You're down on the goal line, touchdowns, not field goals. Now, Both teams have an excellent field goal kicker. However, the Bills, as we saw on Sunday, have a punting situation that's deplorable. I'm surprised so far we haven't heard about tryouts for a new punter for Buffalo. But here's the other part of it. Hack is the holder for Tyler Bass. And Bass is a weapon. You don't want to screw him up that bad. So maybe you give Hack another chance to punt and hope that things go better because you're so concerned about the field goal kicking game going forward. So it's not an easy you got to get a new punter in there because if you do that you you've got you've made a change to your field goal kicking unit which has been one of the strengths of this team throughout the course of the season. Defensively, the Bills have to hit and sack Mac Jones. Mac Jones can run but he's not going to he's not going to beat you with his legs. If he runs five times, you'll take that. And again, he can. He's not Zach Wilson where he can run and, and maybe pick up 30, 40 yards. He doesn't have that type of athleticism, but he can move a little bit. But that's okay. Let him do that. Take chances to confuse the rookie and let your playmakers in the secondary do just that. Make plays. There is going to be opportunities to hit him early and often. Get that done. I want to see Harrison Phillips and and, and Ed Oliver start the game and aggressively stunt in the middle of that defensive line. Get pressure up the middle on Mac Jones and see how he can handle it. And and I I said the aggressiveness by Sean McDermott. It can't be understated. While being aggressive, you can't do your timeout thing, Sean McDermott. We saw it Sunday, and I'm going to talk next about the Raiders-Chargers game. Defensive timeouts in key spots oftentimes give much more of an advantage to the offense than they do for the defense that you're trying to make sure you're set up with. Sean McDermott has to take care of that. They have to manage the timeouts. They have to be ready to 
have their timeouts at the end of the game. Even in the first half, just manage the game better than you ever have. And and I don't know how I can expect him to do it, but I certainly hope he does take care of the timeouts. It, it, It worries me in big games that Sean McDermott is not a good game manager. And it worries me big time going against the guy on the other sideline who's the best coach in the history of the league. All said, I think the Bills move on. I'm looking at a 23-13 win in this game. I think the Bills score late to get a little bit of a backdoor cover. They're favored by four. I think that they are the better team. They have the better roster. They have the best player on the field, and that's Josh Allen. And I think Allen himself needs to look at what he did week in the second Patriot game and try to simulate that because he was the best player on the field and he was the reason they won that game fairly easily in the end because Josh Allen couldn't be stopped. I'm sure that Bill Belichick is trying to figure out a way to limit Josh Allen. But again, if you're Belichick, you want to take away the best thing that the Bills do, it's Josh Allen. But what do you take away? I'd take away his legs. To me, I'd look at, if I'm Belichick, I'd force the Bills to throw to beat me, which you think about that, it plays into the Bills' hands to an extent. However, Josh Allen has been not good with the football over the last couple weeks. He's made some throws that ended up intercepted or could have been intercepted. You maybe hope for that. You take away, if you take away his legs, you take away Devin Singletary as well. So if I'm Belichick, I'm taking away the run game. And I know it sounds as if you're doing the Bills a favor. I really think that's the approach that if New England is going to win, that's how they do it. So going to be a great game on Saturday night. And by the way, if you're a Bills Mafia member and you're going to that game, I'm tipping my hat to you because... Not a chance in hell. I'm sitting out there in seven-degree weather on a Saturday night to watch a football game that I could easily be laying on my couch under a blanket on a big-screen TV enjoying it. But I'm glad you're going because it'll add to the atmosphere when I watch it on my TV. So good job by you. I mentioned the Raiders-Chargers game on Sunday night. The last game of the season, a game that the winner is going to go to the playoffs. The loser's going to go home. In the event of a tie, which never happens in the NFL, the Steelers would not make the playoffs. Remember, the Steelers earlier in the day get the win over the Ravens. Big Ben swan song the last two weeks. He had the emotional Monday night game against the Browns at home. Does the victory lap, his family on the field. Everyone forgets that Ben Roethlisberger was accused of sexually assaulting three different women. Everyone looks at that. Joe's rolling his eyes at me. But it's part of the narrative of Big Ben. But this is a Hall of Famer, no doubt. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer who stayed a year too long. That said, the Steelers got it done when they had to. And Najee Harris is a great young back The offensive line has grown through the season. T.J. Watt, I'm so glad T.J. Watt tied Michael Strand's record. 
Look, I love Michael Strand. Let me let me preface this by saying I love Michael Strand. He's a great analyst. He was a phenomenal Hall of Fame player. Just everything about Strahan, I think, is fantastic. T.J. Watt, tying his record, should be the best thing to happen to the NFL. Because when Michael Strahan got his sack record, I, I won't say he broke Mark Gassineau's record, because he didn't. Brett Favre laid down so that Strahan could touch him down and get a sack and get credit for it and break Gastineau's record. And the NFL didn't like Mark Gastineau because Gastineau's not a good guy. So they embraced Strahan, the good guy, gave him the record, even though statistically any statistician would look at that play and say, that's not a sack. There's no way. Brett Favre gave Michael Strahan that sack record. I only wish that T.J. Watt broke the record because he's so deserving of what he did. And he missed a couple games, so I don't want to hear he only played or he played his 17-game season. T.J. Watt's a stud, the best pass rusher in the NFL right now. Steelers defensively can't stop the run. Even on Sunday in a game where they only gave up 13 points, they gave up 249 yards rushing. To the Ravens, the Ravens who have had running back problems all year, Latavius Murray goes for 150. So the Steelers get in, and it's cool, I'm, and I'm glad for Big Ben. I am. I'm glad for the Steelers nation who get to extend it. I'm not a Big Ben fan, as you probably could tell from my earlier comments, but I'm glad for Steelers nation they get one more look at him. So with that as the backdrop, you look at what Sunday night meant. You look at what happened Sunday night. Because, again, if you're a Steeler fan, uh, we're going to the playoffs. Because there's not going to be a tie. Justin Herbert had a drive to send this game to overtime. First off, 4th and 23 with about four minutes to go in the game. He throws a touchdown pass to Josh Palmer that a 23-yard pass It was a 90-mile-an-hour fastball that he just – literally, I think he and Josh Allen are the only two players in the league who could have made that throw. It was an absolute seed to give them an opportunity that if they get it back, they have a chance to to get another drive and get another touchdown. Oh, they also needed the two-point conversion, which they got. And and so there's so many factors. The Raiders are, are trying to hold on to this league. The Chargers get it back just about two minutes to go and three timeouts to go. And I think that's a huge part of it. When you go back to what I was saying about McDermott managing the timeouts, huge, huge factor that they had three timeouts. 19 plays in two minutes, the last of which came with zeros on the clock, and it was a touchdown pass to Mike Williams which the extra point sent it to overtime. Phenomenal drama. And again, here we are now with the backdrop of loser go home unless there's a tie, which the Steelers go home. Go to overtime. Raiders get it first. Go down kick the field goal. Chargers get it. Go down kick the field goal. So now it's next score wins. And the game is, is trending towards a situation where it might end in a tie. Brandon Staley, who was criticized early in the game for going for it on fourth down in his own 
from his own 19-yard line, decides to call a defensive timeout with about 38 seconds left in the game. It was third and about four or five at the time. It looked like the Raiders were going to run the ball, and then maybe the last play of the game, they're going to take a timeout. From the 39, it was. So if you're the Chargers' defense, you get a stop here. Most likely what I think is going to happen is the Raiders are going to call a timeout, fourth down, kick a field goal, which at that point would have been about a 55-yarder inside. The Raiders kicker Carlson is money. I think he makes a field goal from long distance, and the Raiders win anyway. That's what I think is going to happen. Brandon Staley calls a defensive timeout to get the proper personnel on the field. There was four seconds left on the play clock when he called the timeout. I don't think he called the timeout to force the Raiders to to run a play and, and then possibly if they miss a field goal, you might get it back in a situation where you could throw a Hail Mary. I don't think that's where he was going. I think he was genuinely concerned that he didn't have the right situation defensively to get a stop there. And, and look, these coaches aren't thinking like we fans are. We fans are thinking, how great would it be if there's a tie? How great would it be if we tie this game and then the Steelers don't go, but both the Chargers and Raiders go? I, I do not believe that's a thought process that Rich Bisaccia or Brandon Staley had in their mind. Because at that moment in time, you're thinking about trying to win a game that you need to win to make the playoffs in overtime against your division rivals. And frankly, if you're the Raiders and that's not your mindset, that we're going to win this game and go to the playoffs, what the hell are you playing the game for? I I, I don't want to go anywhere but Herm Edwards. You play to win the game. It's the only thought process you can have. Now, there's a whole lot of internet fodder that the Raiders were going to take a knee. The Raiders weren't going to take a knee. They were going to run a play, and then not. the Raiders were not going to lose that game. That was the situation. They were going to kick a field goal on the last play of the game from very long distance. Carlson's got a big leg. It would have been within his range. They were going to run a, a, a simple run play out of the shotgun for hopefully positive or no loss of yards. Carlson for 55-56 is going to have a real good chance to make it. And from the Raiders' point of view, they're not going to lose the game. The only way they miss the playoffs is by losing the game. So what changed with that timeout? To me, nothing. And, and I know the internet blew up and you know people are saying that Staley cost his team the game with that timeout. I don't believe that to be true whatsoever. And, and again, we all assume we know. I love the clip that went viral of a player talking, a Raiders player talking to Austin Eckler. And his back was to the camera and his hand was over his mouth. And yet people are saying, there's the Raider players saying they were going to take a knee. How, how did you know that? You don't have sound. You can't read his lips. It's just internet fodder. And so many people are so certain of what the Raiders were going to do. It just baffles me how anyone can pretend to know. Now, Brandon Staley's got to answer for that timeout. Because after that timeout, 
They came out and they didn't have the right package or they just didn't make the play. And the Raiders picked up an easy first down on the ground. And then that set up the game-winning field goal by Carlson on the last play of the game. I like Brandon Staley. I think he's a hell of a coach. If I'm him, I coach very similarly to what he does. Now, I'm not going for it on fourth and one from my 19. But with Justin Herbert as my quarterback, I'm being very aggressive. The thing is, I think he needs to continue to to build his defense to make the plays he needs them to make. I also think that his team loves his aggressiveness. Players, they don't think big picture. They think small picture during the game, play to play. And they love when coaches put them in position to make a big play. They absolutely love it. So I think what the people who think that Brandon Staley's a bad coach and is and is costing his team chances, I think what they're missing is he's winning his locker room over again and again. And I think this Chargers team, with another good draft this year and maybe a, a few free agent additions, I think they're going to be a team that's going to give Kansas City all they can handle in the West going forward. But the Raiders, props to them. The season they had with the Henry Rugg situation, the John Gruden situation, their other first-round draft pick from last year released because of things he said on a YouTube video, a tumultuous situation where Rich Passaccia gets promoted to head coach midway through because of the Gruden situation. They win the last four games to get to the playoffs. In my opinion, I know there's been talk about maybe even Jim Harbaugh going to to the desert to coach the Raiders. But Derek Carr has grown up. Josh Jacobs has found his footing again and played well on Sunday, even though he was hurt. The Raiders are going to give the Bengals all they can handle on Saturday afternoon. Wouldn't shock me if the Raiders win that game at all. And I love the Bengals. I absolutely love that team. But that was a hell of a game. Maybe the best regular season football game I've ever seen. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Oh, in the picture we're showing there, Max Crosby, he's an absolute beast. He is such a Raider player, in my opinion. Just a beast on that defensive line. So, great stuff going into the playoffs. I mentioned the Raiders-Bengals. Question there is, how healthy is Joe Burrow? He didn't play Sunday. That wasn't a big deal. How healthy is Joe Mixon? Didn't play Sunday. The Bengals didn't need to win Sunday. They're hosting a playoff game. It's going to be loud in Cincinnati. It's going to be fun. This is going to be a great game, in my opinion. Derek Carr versus Joe Burrow. I like Burrow in this one, frankly, if he's healthy. But if not, the Raiders with Josh Jacobs, I think, can run it. They're going to give them all they can handle. Bengals minus six seems like a lot, in my opinion. That's going to be a fun, fun game to see what happens. Of course, the Bills, Saturday night, we talked about that. Sunday afternoon, triple header Sunday. By the way, the NFL, props to the NFL. Two games Saturday, three Sunday, and the Monday nighter. Love the playoff schedule that we as fans get to enjoy. Philly at Tampa. To me, this is Tampa easy unless 
and, and it's the one flaw right now that Tampa has. They're not good at stopping the run. Vitavea hasn't been healthy. Dominican Sue's playing like he's gotten old. The middle of that D-line that was such a key factor in their Super Bowl win and run last year hasn't been nearly as strong this year. If Miles Sanders is healthy, if Jalen Hurts is healthy, and they can run the football, watch out for Philly giving Tampa a lot. But let's be honest. There's some guy who might be 44 years old and dyes his hair. He's the best that's ever done it. He's going to win this game. I just don't know if they cover the eight and a half. The late game on Sunday. And if I have to watch freaking Dwight Clark make a catch in the back of the end zone over Everson Walls all week, I'm going to puke. One quick note about the catch. Later in that game, there was about 26 seconds left, I believe, when Dwight Clark caught that ball to beat the Cowboys in the early 80s. First play from scrimmage after the Cowboys get it. Danny White hits Drew Pearson on a crossing pattern. If they had tearaway jerseys, Drew Pearson goes the distance. He doesn't, gets tackled at midfield. The next play, the Cowboys are about 20 yards from field goal distance. It was a one-score game. Field goal wins the game. The next play, Danny White ends up holding the ball too long, has Tony Dorsett, in the flat, wide open, Dorsett runs for at least 20, puts him in field goal range. Danny White holds it too long, gets hit, fumbles, 49ers recover. Because of that, my living hell has been that stupid freaking catch for the rest of my life. And instead of Tony Dorsett, one of the greatest and most underrated running backs of all time, making a play. Yeah, that that catch. Thanks, Jen. That, that's payback for the Ben Roethlisberger thing, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Dwight Clark, RIP. He was a great, great player. And, of course, Montana, great quarterback. Unfortunately for the 49ers, Joe Montana, Jimmy Garoppolo is not. Jimmy Garoppolo's a gamer, and I really like some things about Garoppolo, but he tends to turn the ball over. The question for me in this game is the Cowboys, great defense, especially playing from in front. Dak Prescott had the five touchdown passes against Philadelphia's backups. I don't think it's that big a deal. If the 49ers are in the lead, the Cowboys are going to have a hard time because the Cowboys' defense is better when you're teeing off on the quarterback. Garoppolo, remarkably, plays well from behind. So it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. But what I think the key to this game is the Cowboys don't necessarily stop the run well. With Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel, Kyle Shanahan's created a fantastic running game that the 49ers, a very good offensive line, if they're in front, I think the 49ers control the clock with the running game. Key stat, 35 carries for the 49ers. They need to run it 35 times. And I know that's throwback old school football, but that's how they beat the Cowboys. Because if they start throwing it, I think that something, either an interception or a sack fumble, ends up turning the game for the Cowboys. Prescott setting the record for the Cowboys with pass touchdowns. But as much as you want to talk about Dak, the key to me, if the Cowboys offensively, it's Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard. Can they run the ball for 120 yards combined against the 49ers? So that's going to be a fun game as well. Joe Steelers against the Chiefs on Sunday night. 
I don't see a scenario where Big Ben can prolong his career another week. The one thing is this. Steelers are very good against the pass. They're terrible against the run. The Chiefs have gotten better against the run or with the running game as the season's gone along. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire likely to be dinged, not a full go with that shoulder injury. I'm not sure if I trust Andy Reid to run it as much as he's going to need to. I think this one's closer than people think. That said, it's the end of Ben's storybook and first ballot Hall of Fame career. Monday night game, Arizona at the Rams. Both teams get a key player back that maybe we didn't think was coming back. J.J. Watt will be back for Arizona. J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones, all of a sudden, that pass rush, spectacular for the Cardinals. they also likely to get James Conner back at running back for the Cardinals. Cam Akers comes back for the Rams. He's a beast. This kid is so good. Towards Achilles in camp, or just before camp, and now he's back. Amazing that he worked that hard to get back. Gives the Rams some more balance in their offense. In this one, though, I don't know if I trust Matt Stafford. I think the Cardinals get the win in that game. Should be a lot of fun. NFL, something that's not a whole lot of fun, is the NFL coaching carousel, and Black Monday was in full force. Now, some of the things we expected, and I've talked a lot about it on this podcast, Vic Fangio, no surprise really there. Mike Zimmer, maybe a small surprise, but not really. Nagy in Chicago, certainly no surprise there. But Brian Flores down in Miami. Now, they had won seven games in a row. They had their second straight winning season. But apparently Brian Flores and Chris Greer, the GM, didn't see eye to eye. Flores wearing out his welcome with coaches. The the owner, Ross, decided to go with Greer over Flores. Flores will be out of work for about an hour. I mean, seriously, this guy has gone from getting fired to now he's one of the top head coaching candidates for the rest of this cycle. Vic Fangio will be the number one defensive coordinator uh, candidate going forward. They're out. So you add that with the fact that the Raiders fired Gruden. Well, I don't know if they fired him. The NFL fired Gruden. You look at Urban Meyer getting fired. That's now six coaches in this cycle already that have changed hands. Joe Judge is an interesting one to keep an eye on. Dave Gettleman retired, finger quotes, retired. In other words, the Mara family said, we're going to fire you or you can retire. I'm out. Yeah, that's what happened there. What I loved yesterday was Josina Anderson, who is a reporter who I trust not at all, tweeted that Joe Judge is definitely safe. So since Josina Anderson said that, I'd say there's like a 90% chance that Joe Judge gets fired because it's not about being right with Josina Anderson. It's about being first. And oftentimes she's first and wrong. I think she will be in this one too. Joe Judge... Here's an idea. Your third and nine offense or second and nine offense inside your five-yard line shouldn't be a quarterback sneak. That was unbelievable that they that, that happened in an NFL game. I mean, truly, 
if you have like a 30-point lead, okay, yeah, no problem with it. If you're trying to win a game and it's a meaningless game, even, look at this. It's third and nine. What are you running? It's just unbelievable how bad the Giants were this year. And you know what? I don't like the Giants one bit growing up a Cowboy fan. It's just not my nature to like that team. But the NFL's better when the Giants are part of it. The, the New York media and fans add something to the NFL. They haven't had a chance to add anything to the NFL in a long, long time. Need to get the higher right for the GM and need to get rid of Joe Judge and move on there. One other name that I want to throw out there that could go, David Culley, the Houston Texans coach. Honestly, I thought he did all right. Davis Mills played pretty well for a rookie. Cully brought him along nicely. I'm still not sure what to expect there, but it wouldn't shock me if he goes. And then, of course, a couple other names that I don't think will go, but could. Pete Carroll in Seattle, Robert Sala, and Matt Rule both would be one-and-dones with Sala. Actually, Rule was there last year as well, but that was a big-ticket hire when Carolina hired him. The draft order is set, the top ten. Jets and Giants, it's your year. Unfortunately, the draft is one of the worst it's been in a long time. Next year's draft, you're going to see kids from Alabama go 1-2. I'm not sure who goes where, but unfortunately, they're too young to be in this draft. Jags get the one number one pick. Lions, two. Texans, Jets, Giants round out the top five. Then it's Carolina, Giants, their pick coming from the Bears. Atlanta, Denver, and Jets pick coming from Seattle. Last night was the national championship game. And Alabama, man, I'll tell you what, the Anderson kid, watching him play, and I've seen him play a couple times this year, I don't know who he reminds me of because the one guy he reminds me of, I'll never compare anybody to, and that's Lawrence Taylor. I'll never say a kid reminds me of Lawrence Taylor. But this kid's a beast. Rush the passer, play in coverage, play the run game. There's nothing on the field he can't do. Unfortunately, because he's so young, he can't go to the NFL till after next season. Now, look, a lot of people are sitting out bowl games to save themselves from injury. Saw last night Jamison Williams, the excellent wide receiver for the, the Crimson Tide. Williams is likely to have torn an ACL last night. So while you're seeing that, that he may not be the sixth overall pick, he may be a later round pick because of that ACL. Again, I haven't heard anything that it is, but it sure looked like it was an ACL when it happened. If if I'm Anderson, I don't, I'm not playing next year. I'm sitting out. And, and if you think that's crazy, the best defensive rookie in the league this year was Micah Parsons of the Cowboys. And I don't think... There's a whole lot of discussion about that. Michael Parsons sat out last year because of COVID. He went 11th overall. You tell me Anderson's not going one or two after next year if he doesn't play another college football game? Now, with the NIL, he can make a lot of money playing for Alabama next year. And actually, the only difference is he can make that money up front and legally as opposed to what it used to be with backroom handshakes. But... Anderson's the best defensive player I've seen in college football in a long, long time. And that includes, 
I think he's better than the Bosa brothers, who are studs. Chase Young, who's a stud. And, and, and I thought he was a better college player than Micah Parsons. So where he goes, the fit he goes into, has a lot to do with it. Last night, I thought Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, hurt himself a little bit. But he can play. He's, he's a Deshaun Watson-type player. Can run. You'd much rather keep him in the pocket. But there is so much talent on this field. You look at the kids from George from Georgia, how good they were last night. Delvin Cook's brother had the big run. You had the, the Neil Neely coming up with that interception late to seal it. And, of course, Stetson Bennett, what he did. The terrible turnover, which I thought was a forward pass, hand going forward. To me, there was no doubt it was a forward pass. But he comes out and makes three great throws in a row. Changed the game, in my opinion. Georgia, the better team last night. That was a heck of a win. Kirby Smart, by the way, I'm not impressed that he beat Alabama. He had a great team. He should have beat Alabama. I am impressed by his vertical leap on the sidelines and his ability to still run as an older guy because I couldn't jump over a a sheet of paper these days. Kirby Smart still got like a 30-inch vertical. Well done, Coach. Congrats to the Bulldogs. Finish up today with a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and unfortunately, it's killing me. And it's a Syracuse Orange basketball program. Never in Jim Beheim's illustrious career has there been a time this late in the season where he is below 500. But this team is different from any other team he's had. Jim Beheim plays eight players. Three of those players are coming off the bench. They combine, and they are, of course, Benny Williams, Samir Torrance, and Frank Anselm. The three of them combine to average six points a game. When your bench contributes six points a game, that must mean your starters are really good. Not the case this year. The Bayheim brothers are struggling. There's tape every year. Let's face it. Everyone looks at tape and figures out what people do. Jimmy Bayheim, the tape's out on him. If you pressure him when he puts it on the floor, he can turn it over. Buddy Bayheim has become a bit of a black hole. He's still a great shooter, although he's in a shooting slump. And that's in part because he's taking shots that aren't open. And because he's not getting in rhythm, even when he's getting good looks, they're not going. But when Buddy puts it on the floor, he doesn't give it up. His teammates tend to stand around and watch. And Buddy isn't athletic enough to always finish at the rim, so he tries to finish with a little floater and a little turnaround jumper from about the 12-foot mark. Shot he can make, but a shot because of his lack of athleticism that's usually contested, therefore a very difficult shot. Joe Girard, a turnover machine. Unfortunately, Girard has... He's vindicated the people that doubted him. I I shouldn't say that. He's vindicated his ability to play at this level. Everyone doubted a kid from Glens Falls could play at this level. Gerard shooting 43%, 46% from three this year. However, 69 assists and 45 turnovers. That's not even a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. I know he's playing out of position, and I blame the coach for that because the coach didn't recruit another point guard this year because he thought he had Katari Richmond going forward. Well, Richmond left. Adjust. Bring in a point guard. Samir Torrance is that guy. Unfortunately, 
he's on a leash that's about six inches long. Every time Samir Torrance makes a bad play, he gets yanked out of the game. He can't get in rhythm. The Orange have gotten in a situation where they finally have a center they can trust defensively. Jesse Edwards has three blocks a game so far this year, 44 blocks in the Orange's 15 games. Done a great job defensively. He's effective offensively, where he's averaging almost 12 points a game. He's averaging almost seven rebounds a game. Yet because of the lack of athleticism around him, they can't take advantage of them finally finding a center who can contribute at both ends of the court. The first time since they had Rick Jackson. It's been a, a terrible season in large part because of the players on the floor not being as good as the conference they play in and the schedule they're playing demand them to be. In other words, Jim Beheim's recruiting is the root of this problem. Think about this. The Beheim brothers make up 25% of the players that play the game. So Jim Beheim didn't leave his living room to recruit 25% of the players he uses And the other six that he uses just aren't that high quality of players. I mean, Cole Swider's a nice player, but he's not a star. Benny Williams has got great athleticism, could become a star. He's far, far away from being ready to do that. This is an epic fail by a legendary coach, and I know... He can stay as long as he wants, and the the, the 1,100 wins he's got shows he knows a lot more about basketball than I ever will, and I I don't doubt that for a minute. But everyone's time comes. Jim Boeheim's time has come. Unfortunately, nothing's going to change as long as he's there. Now, next year they have a better recruiting class, although it's not as good as it looked a year ago when they had a couple players who were committed who have since backed out. It's a problem. And and I think this NIL is going to really hurt the Syracuse basketball program because the economy in Syracuse is a lot different than the economy in a lot of other cities where you're recruiting against. And, and if people are looking to get paid, which every college kid is now, it's only going to make the recruiting job tougher for the Orange going forward. So as much as I love this team and I really enjoy watching them play, it's just, it's tough. They play tonight against Pitt. To say it's a must win, that's an understatement. They've got to get a win against Pitt tonight and then hopefully get another win against Florida State on Saturday. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Go Bills. We'll be watching. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. 